Meredith, why do you hate Andy Warhol? Um, so it's like those paintings that you see in a museum that's like all white and you don't see anything. You're supposed to infer what you're, you, you want to see in something like that. That's the point of the art. You're inferring. Yeah. Andy Warhol, you had to do a lot of inferring with his art because you had a soup can, for instance. You didn't like the soup can? It, I mean, it's a soup can. It's innocuous. Even though innocuous objects can be art, but you got to do it in an artful way. I agree. I have no opinion on the art of Andy Warhol. It's just a thing I've had to live with. It's just there. Yeah. He's very famous. Yeah. Like you're just, you're just going to be exposed to it. And I feel like I say anything like I'm the guy who like, you don't get it or something like that. And maybe I don't, maybe that's what the the problem is, but I, uh, I certainly don't, I certainly don't feel like, um, maybe you're missing out by not catching any Andy Warhol. Maybe he's just the loudest to be obvious about art. You think so? That's that's just his... Yeah, he's just such a garish guy anyways mm. that he just brought about, like, he just had... He was just a sponge for people. Yeah, I mean, I guess so. But, I mean, he was an incredibly famous figure. They always run that when they talk about WWE, when they talk about famous people at WrestleMania. They always show the clip of Andy Warhol there. So that lets you know just, like, what a sort of pop culture icon that Andy he was. Warhol would have loved wrestling. Yeah. Yeah. Well, he did. He did love the, the early stuff. He was on Monday night football a few times too, which I find fascinating. Right. Think of like, you know, another artist just waltzed into the Monday night football booth. Right. Yeah. And just sat there on a drive with Joe Buck and Troy. Aikman. I think that's who he doesn't know. Fucking Joe Buck. Inside baseball. Mayor is very concerned right now. No, I'm not. You had a pain look on your face. <laughs> I thought that I was missing some notes, but ah. I was not. I panicked for like just a moment, a moment, a brief moment in time. Yes. Yeah. And now I'm I'm good. You're good. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Let's do this. Let's do this. All right. Let's get it done. Let's get it done. We can talk right over the theme. Hello, 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 everybody. I'm Pedro. And I'm Meredith. And this is Gritty Reboot, the grittiest show that you could ever think of about film reboots. So damn gritty. That's right. We are right now covered in dirt. I'm sitting on Mm -hmm. rusty nails. And this is just a Wednesday for me. Yeah. Yeah, see? Yeah. (laughs) Off to a bad start. All right, scrap the show, delete, start again. So what are we covering first? You know, that's a good question. We didn't we didn't bring up how we were going to break. Yeah, this we didn't down. talk about that. We didn't we didn't do that at all. So uh, we can, I tell you what, let's do the 2011 version first. Let's go out of order. Okay. Let's because <laughs> now I want you to know any question Meredith asked me has a right or a wrong answer, and she gave me a yes or no, and her look just told me what I said was the wrong fucking answer. Well, we'll do it. <laughs> We'll you gave me that look like, you son of a bitch. <laughs> I'm sorry I didn't read your mind. So we're going to go right into the uh, the 2011 version, which I don't have any of this stuff up for because I thought I was going to do the other one. I screwed myself over. All right. So in the year 2011, we got ourselves Paul Bronstein as Griggs, 
This name, I know I'm going to butcher, and I'm very sorry. Uh, Adewale Ekinawa Agabahe. And uh, he played Adebisi on the show Oz. He's been in a bunch of character work over the years. If you if you look up the cast list and click on this guy, you'll recognize him immediately. And I feel bad I butchered his name, and I knew I was going to. I heard it pronounced before, and I'm like, I'm not going to get that right when the time comes. And I certainly didn't. Uh, Eric Christian Olsen as Adam Finch. He got rebooted once in the Jim Carrey as uh, the Dumb and Dumber guy. Huh. Yeah, so we'll have to talk about him one day later in the future, too. Here's our first time dealing with him here. Ulrich Thompson is Dr. Sander Halverson, our bad guy. Joel Edgerton is Sam Carter, another dude just hanging around. And Mary Elizabeth Winsett is Kate Lloyd. And this is in the very confusingly titled The Thing. Yeah, we're just going to call it the prequel. 48 hours ago, we found something. Quite- y- yeah, that, that, that's sort of the... What we're definitely going with here, just call it the prequel, yeah. so we can keep it very clear here. They decided to name them both the same thing. It's stupid. Yeah. Marching down. This is Kate Lloyd's Columbia Paleontology. This would be our re-reboot because it's a prequel. Yeah. You like you like what I did there? I did. I did. Been here one so. I guess the, the, the takeaway from this viewing is that I went into this film. And I thought, like, okay, this is it. I'm going to rediscover the thing 2011. There was something there maybe before. I was almost rooting for this movie to kind of impress me going back to rewatch it. And that did not happen at all. No, it's a very average movie. Yeah, that, that's the thing. It's, it's just a watchable flick at the end of the yeah. day. It's okay if it's on Sci-Fi Channel or something like that. But The question is, does it really add to the thing as a prequel? Yeah, I guess that is something. Does it make the original film better by yeah. having this this story there? And I would argue, no. There's nothing in this film that is of any consequence that I think really adds to it. I just, I, honestly, at the end of the day, I just don't think, if this film doesn't exist, it doesn't change anything with that movie. It never did. Nobody cares about this movie. Yeah. Nobody, unless you're a, a Mary Elizabeth Winstead stan, like nobody cares about this film. Yeah, it's I just agree. It's just sort of lost. There's a fun little story. Hey, we'll, we'll get into it right now. We'll talk about the thing off the top. And, and, you know, one of the aspects I always love about when we talk Hollywood movies is when the suits or the studio heads mess around with the film. And this is one of those films. Unfortunately. So, yeah, yeah. So basically, the effects in this film were going to be done in a very similar fashion to the original film with a ton of practical effects. And that was going to be done by a company called um, Aaron Dine Dynamic. And they. They were contracted to do the work, and they put together some pretty good models, if you take a look at it. And basically what happened in the final cut of the film is that this effects team, they got really screwed over because their work was completely pasted over with really rushed CG. Yeah. And I can never tell you how their work would have looked on screen, but I certainly would have liked to have seen that. You know, they put a lot of time and effort into it, and I'm not bashing CGI at all. What I am bashing is the Hollywood schedule, is that... A studio, I mean, a, an effects house got all these thing effects just dropped on them with a release date, just ticking clock right at them. So they had to get done what they could. And that's why the effects in this film look really lousy. And that's a really bad thing for a film made so much after your original film. Yeah. For the effects to be a step down from what the original did. And all that work into the practical effects just gone down the shitter. Like nobody's ever going to see that. Yeah, yeah. And that's the idea is practical effects in this day and age are supposed to be enhanced with some CG. Like you make things move that didn't move on set or, or things like that. 
you know, you can patch some of the holes, uh, you know, remove the green and the green and stuff like that. That that's what you want to do. But to completely paste over it is just a, a real waste of everyone's time. Like I said, an effects house gets overworked. They get the job done poorly. It makes them look like a bunch of idiots. The movie bombs. So it never didn't work out for anybody. The guys who did the practical effects, they have nothing to show except from some behind the scenes footage. Mm-hmm. And we'll talk a, a little bit more of the plot changes when we get to the very end of the movie. But I want to address that one right now. You know, that was something that. So the studio really imposed upon this director and it just, it's one of the things that really hampers the movie, you know, cause you really depend on that sort of effects from a movie called the thing. And it sucks. We didn't get here. Yeah. You would have thought that they would have continued the practical effects, which they did. But like you said, with meddling of production, it just all kind of barrel rolled. Yeah, and that's sort of the thing about it, too. It's just, like, early on in the movie, you get to see a few glimpses of, like, the practical version of the thing, and it looks really nice. And then, you know, the CG comes out to play, and and you just don't get any more of it. But, you know, I I digress. We'll we'll, we'll get into it. Let's go ahead and get into the movie now. Okay. It starts with a helicopter shot of a snow truck versus a dog. A group of guys falls through the ice after hearing some high-pitched noises on equipment. They end up wedged in the crack, turn on their headlights, and see an alien craft. Yeah. Yeah, we got that whole scene with the beginning of the alien craft. Yeah, and I I guess I kind of, it sets the tone of the movie pretty well, because it's rather silly that it just breaks through perfectly, and it stops, and they see the shuttle. I mean, they see the spaceship. Uh, There's a lot of clever ways, I think, for them to stumble upon it. You know, this sort of lets you know this movie is maybe not going to be the smartest film out there. Because I think the way they stumble upon it in the other movie we're going to talk about, the 1951 film, I think that is more interesting than what they do here, even mm-hmm. with their effects budget. It, it's a scene. It, it establishes things. We get a title card. Yeah. We see the craft initially, and we move on. Yeah. It's got Mary Elizabeth Winstead in it, which we like. Yeah. I've always been a big fan of her work here, and she's, she's solid in this movie. She's solid in almost everything. So Yeah. She's the paleontologist in this movie. Paleontologist. In the Arctic. Just kind of weird, huh? Yeah. But I guess it happens. Yeah. Well, that's all, all it's there. It's just scientists and researchers, according to the thing. Apparently, she's a specialist in cold weather digs. Uh-huh. So, I guess she would be perfect for this term. Yeah, that would be why they'd call her expertise. Up yeah. There, so. She agrees to go out to Antarctica on very little info. Would you go, based on what she was told? Well, with what action movies have told me, I guess I don't have much of a choice. That I just kind of have to go because that, you know, otherwise there's no movie. But uh, in real life, I'd have been like, nah, man, I'm not heading out there for this. But she's more adventurous than, than I, or at least we're supposed to yeah, think she you, is. You got to give me way more information yeah, or uh, way more well, money. Well, I would I say, I just said she's more adventurous, but you know, I don't really know that. And I think that's another problem as we get into the movie. Yeah, characterization. Yeah, we, we got some really nice characterization, simple, but effective in the original film. And this movie is just, there's overstuffed with too many characters. Yeah. And even the lead, I just don't know that much about. This is the, one of the rare times we get just a, a quiet moment with her. And she does something dumb. It's not a bad idea for a movie for a prequel. No, no. And I think that's something that does, does deserve to be said. I think the idea of what happened in the Norwegian camp is kind of interesting. Like some cool stuff could have went down there. It's timeline of events isn't shit or anything like that. It's not like it just destroys what could have happened or anything like that. I know some people really feel strongly against it, but I don't think it does anything like that. It's still a watchable flick at the end of the day, but like there is a lot of lore you could really mine out of the first encounter with the thing. And you know, it's disappointing what we ultimately get from this. 
The Norwegians end up taking her to the craft, then to the alien. Mm -hmm. They strategize on how to get the alien out of the ice. They eventually drill into the ice with the alien in it. There's a scene I want to talk about very early on, and there's a lot of things to talk about with poor screenwriting. I think it's around this part, but they're talking about what they want to do with the creature. And Mary Elizabeth Winston makes her opinion felt. And then she comes out and she has a conversation with Dr. Sander. Mm-hmm. And Dr. Sander immediately comes out and pulls the bad guy card like, I would appreciate you not contradict me in front of my men anymore. Like, I know the accent wasn't right, but like he immediately comes out and just drops that right there. And I was like, okay, do you want to put this flag on your chest that says bad guy for the rest of the yeah. movie? And I mean, it's just, it's one of those things that gets done in a film to where I'm like, oh, okay, like it's a lazy thing to do in absence of, a, of screenwriting to develop a rivalry or anything like that, or a director to show this with glances or looks, you know, it's a, Another thing to kind of slow down as this plot progresses. And it's just something that kind of stuck out to me is like, we're not in the same category of film as, the, as we were before. Mm-hmm. Continue on. They drill in and they find the, they hit the beast. They drill in and they, uh, for a sample, yeah. trying to take a sample. They all get together and they celebrate finding an alien. So they're all really happy that they have this discovery. And, and rightfully so. Yeah. This is one of the, th- the scenes I really like them because everyone's letting loose. They just made the fucking discovery of a lifetime. They yeah. should be losing their minds. Like, I'm okay with this idea of like, once everything goes down with the party, we have one character come back to just check everything out. And the, the, the thing is melted and busted out. That's a perfectly great reason for you to completely miss something like that. Is you were overjoyed that you found something like that. Yeah. Also, you know, you find something frozen in the ice for 100,000 years. You don't expect it to be alive. No kidding. Yeah, you don't expect it to be alive. So I think that's another another point towards these guys. I don't mind dumb things in a horror movie. If I can see why you did the dumb thing, mm-hmm. that's fine. That's perfectly okay. Same thing here. It's a nice element of camaraderie, I sure, think. Sure, yeah. One guy wanders off to check on the alien. May he thinks he hears something. Yeah, I do enjoy this this scene, actually, of him walking through going back there and seeing the alien pop up. Mm-hmm. I, I like it a lot. I really do. It bursts out of the ice. Yeah. I mean, like I said, the movie is watchable, so it has some some fun moments in it, and this is one of them. I, I like how it bursts through, and that, that's kind of scary seeing what is like the original or what it looked like before it found anything human or anything mm-hmm. on Earth. I think that's a, a neat as, aspect of it. And we do see it practically as it it eventually busts out, and he. I love that he runs back in there, and he says, it's alive, and everyone's like, eh, fuck you. But then after a couple of times, he's like, no, come and see. He has to convince them the thing has actually escaped. Yeah. And then they do my favorite dumb horror movie thing. Now, I talked about good, dumb decisions. This is stupid for them to break up into groups and to look for this potentially dangerous alien creature. They could all see it through the ice, right? Yeah. They could all see that it's got like claws and tentacles and it's huge. So maybe you might want like everybody walking as a group looking for this thing. Yeah. They all split up. Yeah. Two Norwegians hear something. One of them gets hooked by the creature with the hook thing. It immediately hits right here because you see the thing underneath there. The practical effects look really nice. And this really shitty CG tentacle hook comes out and grabs this guy once he calls for the group. And it pulls him under and it starts to eat him. But uh, the cabin is set on fire that's above the thing, and that eventually incapacitates it, does not kill it. Yeah, they shoot at it, ultimately burning the creature inside the shed. Yeah. And this was is where we get to Dr. Sander being very eager to examine the alien. Yeah, he has a little bit... This is a different movie than what we got the, the last time, in all honesty, because 
the main element is that everybody had sort of realistic motivations. Like he just sort of has like bad guy scientist motivations from mm-hmm. stock science fiction plot, you know, and that's unfortunate. I don't, I don't think he's necessarily a bad character, but he's certainly not very interesting. Yeah. And I think that's a little one bit one dimensional. Yeah. There's just not a whole lot really to him. He just, he's like, of course he'll want to do the thing nobody wants him to do so we can have a, the rest of the fucking movie. They cut it open and they notice that one of the Norwegians is being digested. Yeah. 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 So that's a pretty cool scene. I think. Yeah, no, I think so too. I, I love this autopsy and these practical effects. They look really solid here. You know, this is very reminiscent of the original film. They discovered that the alien took the titanium plate out of the dead Norwegian's arm. Yeah. So that's something to note for the rest of the movie. And they are perplexed by it since we do, we now introduce this sort of new canon. Yeah. And I do want to mention this does have an effect on the, the new movie. And the, the idea here is that, on the original film, pardon me. This does have the effect that the thing cannot replicate inorganic material. It can only do the things that are inside you. So if you have a screws in your arm, it won't do anything with that. It just spits it right out. But, you know, at the end of the original film, Childs has his earring in still. Hmm. So technically that would mean he's still, he's, a, still okay. he's still a person. If we go by the lore of this film, which is not necessarily recognized, but it's not necessarily non-canon either. So it's just a little fun fact. So you think Kurt Russell is the thing? No, I don't. No, they're both human. Oh. Yeah, I think they. Yeah, I think they both just freeze to death out there. Yeah, they probably do. Yeah, they both just freeze. Child's freezes freezes to death because that I remember that from that from the PlayStation Two game. Like when you first get your crew there, you find a dead body and there's Child's out there frozen, but you don't find McCready. He survived. Mm. It's not important how. Yeah, it is. I, I don't. I don't remember. He just shows up later in the game and like he he's when you beat the game, he's the one who like saves you. Mm. Yeah, he picks you up in a helicopter and you fly somewhere. Kate looks at some tissue samples and notices the alien cells are Im- imitating the human cells. Yeah. So we get another scene of that. Yeah, we do. And I think it's more interesting than what we did in the original film, just because effects are a little bit better than yeah. what we had back then. Uh, even though it doesn't have Wilford Brimley's stare. But I, I do like that she's trying to, to kind of shake the other doctor awake. That he's like, I don't know what I saw. She's like, it's imitating the cell. Like, it's, like it's clearly what it's doing. Because even when she has her opportunity to point it out later, she immediately just jumps right into it, mm-hmm. imitating. And this is where we come to Joel Edgerton, who plays Sam Carter, where they head to a military base with the injured. And so they get up in a helicopter and they're going off. And then Kate notices what looks like bloody... Bloody teeth. Yeah. Yeah, like, and it turns out to just be like fillings. Yeah, fillings on the ground. Yeah, and she searches around and she sees the shower completely covered in blood. Yeah. And so she goes out there and flags down the ship. The, the helicopter. Ship, the helicopter. <laughs> <laughs> the, <laughs> she, sorry. She flags down the helicopter. And when she does, I, I do like this bit of character element that Edgerton scared Sam, right? Yeah. He is kind of perplexed by what she's doing and he keeps going. Then he's like, no. If she was going to come out and flag me down, it's probably something really fucking important. Yeah. And I do like that bit of character element. And the movie, of course, has a switcheroo. Uh, We have two characters that are flying out that they're taking back in. We have one who's acting squirrely and sus completely. I mean, he is trying to indicate he is the thing as hard as possible. Mm -hmm. And, of course, what happens? It's the other guy. And it's not a great looking effect. Um, It was in the trailer. It just doesn't look very good. Yeah. You know, his head splits apart and he becomes like a bad CG creature. And the helicopter crashes. Yeah, and then they all talk about how to find the helicopter wreckage. Yeah. And it's kind of like at night, so I don't know why they would do anything at night, but I guess they're worried about their buddies. Yeah, I mean, I would be worried about my buddies. Yeah, but you can't 
you can't get in the air and at nighttime in Antarctica. Sure you can. You can do anything you want. <laughs> Not every pilot is McCready. Yeah, I guess there there is that aspect of it too. And they they lost their guy, so they sort of have to grin and bear it. Like yeah. there's not a whole lot, a whole lot of options that they have, especially with things escalating. Kate tries desperately to tell everybody about her findings, but they don't really listen. She tells them that one of them could be the alien, but they they're just kind of like clueless. They're not quite ready to make that leap yet. Yeah. They They leave anyway. The other girl is there is left. Yeah. Yeah. She turns out to be the alien. Yeah, she does. She's uh, left alone with Kate and she, well, I mean, I don't say I like this scene because it's, you can see it coming a mile away. Mm -hmm. Like you really can't. Like I remember the first time I saw this, I was like, well, she's clearly the thing. (laughs) And they go in there and she begins to morph when she asks her a question. There's a neat little effect of like her head becoming like a blank stare. It's yeah. still on there. I, I do like that because I've always said like the, we talked about it last week that when you're the thing, I don't think you really know, you know, you just are. And, you know, all that brain tissue went away and it's just like, you know, a completely blank expression. But the rest of the effect is not so good. And the thing monster gives chase to her. as She runs down there and impales one of the Norwegian scientists as it gives chase until it's eventually subdued and set on fire by the rest of the staff. I do want to mention, and this is something I wanted to talk about because I've heard this critique a lot, is that the thing doesn't act like it did in the original movie. Yeah. And that's fair, but I would also say, I was like, this is the prequel. Like, the thing has never met us before. Mm -hmm. It doesn't know a thing about us. It doesn't know how we react to certain situations, how capable we are. And I think in that situation, it learned, okay, taking the humans on directly, not a great idea. And so at that point, it learned, I need to be a little more subtle about how I'm going to make my approach. Because once again, it has no idea who we are or how we handle anything. So at that point it knows like, you know, we're capable, we're capable fighters like hand to hand, you know, it's, it's tough for them to, I mean, they have an advantage, but it's something that they, they have to find a better way. And I think that's interesting to see like a character arc for it. I don't know if it's hundred percent the intention of the movie, but I, I at least think it's there. Just like in the, uh, 82 version of the thing, the doctor comes up with a blood test they all can do so you can see who the alien is. Yeah. So that's pretty helpful. Then two people come out from the cold, and it's Sam Carter and Derek. One of them was Joel Edgerton, so obviously he was going to come back. He's the only other recognizable guy in the movie, even though he really wasn't much back then. But either way, it, it just seems weird for them to return. I mean, they seem capable enough, but, you know, why do a helicopter crash if you're going to do that? Yeah. I felt like the second I saw them show back up, I was like, well, they're not the thing, clearly. Because that would be the most suspect thing you could do, right? Right. Show back up as two people you think are dead. And to me, this also leads, I think, to one of the movie's great missed opportunities is there's two languages being spoken in this facility. And there's only, like, one scene that really takes advantage of that. You know, like, the confusion of not being able to converse with someone else. You know, you're trying to convince someone to trust you and you can't speak their language. I think that's a real missed opportunity for this movie. Mm -hmm. I I think I really, I think it really is. So, well, they end up isolating them before the test is ready. Yeah. Because I would isolate them too. There also might be another way to tell who's the alien. It can't imitate inorganic material. So everyone is checked for fillings. Kate checks everyone's mouth. Yeah, this is a a decent scene. I mean, once again, you have to compare it to the blood test scene, so it's not quite as interesting, but it doesn't, it's not a fortune or anything like that. I think it's well done. And it's a decent enough idea considering what we know about the thing. You know, this Mm -hmm. is something new about it, but, you know, it wasn't really discussed in the other movie. 
So I, I think it works fine. I know some people have some issues with it and what it establishes in the lore and stuff like that, but I think it's okay. Yeah, I agree. They go to get the Americans, Carter and Derek, but they are missing. And there's a huge hole in the bottom of the shed. So some more suspect material. Yeah, they, they got out of there. Yeah. The Americans break into the facility and they, they go after them. Derek shoots Peter in the head, killing him instantly. He also shoots the fire. Flamethrower? <laughs> I can't read my own writing. <laughs> I was like, this, this, this is your barbecue. He also shoots the fire tank. And blows it up. Yeah, yeah, he hits that and it causes an explosion, so. Yeah. One of the Norwegian's arms falls off and becomes an alien. He turns and then starts laying waste to everyone. Yeah, it's a decent enough effect in all honesty. Uh, This one doesn't bother me. I I think this probably worked out really well. And I do like that. The guy from Game of Thrones, like the severed arm ends up sticking on his mouth and pumping thing juice into him or whatever it is. I don't know. But it eventually does uh, come to finish him off. And so... One of the, the Norwegian scientists sort of falls down. His other arm also separates and he has like a tentacle come out of him. And this scene is a, this scene is a real mess because like the tentacle is swinging around. It's hitting multiple people, right? It hits the American scientist and it hits the other pilot, right? Mm-hmm. They, they both go down and the movie doesn't care at all about the American scientist, but we are showing every angle of the helicopter pilot, yeah. like as he's dying, right? Yep. Like he's with him and like, no, don't go. And I'm like, I'm thinking like, you know, the thing is going towards the other guy and trying to absorb him and become the iconic two-faced thing from the original film. And the movie's more concerned with the helicopter pilot. It was just a strange decision Hmm. in this kind of poorly shot action sequence or, or yeah, I guess the action scene. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I didn't write too much of this encounter down. So to me, it wasn't very interesting. Yeah. I mean, that, that's sort of my bit is like that tentacle just sort of swings around and like, we just get lost in the action. We really do. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I like, like we're just watching this guy die and I'm like, where's the fucking thing. That's what I care about. Just like in the original movie, when his hands go inside of Norris and his hands get bit off, we don't care about what happened to the doctor. No one's on the ground going, it's okay. You're going to make it. We don't give a fuck. Yeah. We want to know what the thing's doing. Right. And this is a critical mistake in, in this movie. And I, I know, once again, not, not everybody's John Carpenter, but it is an unfortunate mistake in the directing in this film. So, it, I mean, this movie had other problems besides CG. Good point. I didn't catch that. But like I said, I was very uninterested. I was really watching it to see these sorts of things that I didn't like. And, and that was another aspect of it. Well, it ends up being Carter and Kate left. Yeah. They try to find the creature, and they do. Part of it, at least. Carter takes it out with an axe, but that doesn't do much of anything. Yeah, and he has to leave the axe in that spot, mm-hmm. because that's where it is in the original Continuity. film. Yeah, and she almost stops it. Well, the, the fact that she drew attention to it almost made me dislike it more, but it's whatever at this point in the movie. Only fire seems to work. Thankfully. And then Sam and Kate end up getting separated. They lay a trap for it and take off with it. The doctor gets away in a snowcat, and then Kate and Carter go after him. Yeah, they have to give chase here because they, they know that he's infected. They go and they find the hatch open on the spaceship. And the doctor has started up this the ship. Yeah, so this leads to a real wet fart of, of a finale. Yeah. And I, let's talk about the other aspect of the studio changes here. And one of them was that we had a, a non-thing alien in this movie. And he was going to be the pilot of that ship. And basically the studio hated the look of him and wanted him cut out. So Kate walks into the ship 
And so what does she see that she looks at with this grandeur, not this 18 foot tall alien, but this mess of dancing Tetris pixels that's just in the middle of this room. Mm -hmm. And this finale that should have been fought with like a thing creature trying to become that so it could fly the ship, which is the original idea that got scrapped. And now you have a Sanderson thing, right? Basically is what it is. And it's an incredibly poor looking effect. Ooh, it's so bad. It's the worst effect in the movie as we get to the finale. Yeah. We see his face on there and it looks awful. It looks like a bad deep fake. And it splits apart to become like a PS2 level thing effect. And it gives chase to her and she eventually throws a grenade at it and hits it. Mm-hmm. And then she goes out. And, or uh, what's his face does help her. And they are able to subdue the thing and get the hell out of the ship. And then she kills Carter because he's not wearing his earring. Yeah, she spots that earring, which is a nice touch. I do like that. And the movie has a nice downbeat ending. A nice downbeat ending. That's a weird way to put it. But I, I think it's appropriate for the material. It's just so middle of the road. You know, even with better effects, I think if it was a numerical score thing for me, like better effects would have given it one extra point. Not enough to really say like, this is a movie you got to check out. Because like I said, I think it's directly middle of the road. Five out of 10. Yeah. It's just right there. Yeah. Like it's, it's one of those like, well, Eber would always put this like a thumbs down. You know, he's like, no, it's just not good enough for, you know, it's just, if it's just watchable that you can do better. Yeah. You know, and I, I think that's, that's the takeaway from this movie is despite everything else we just talked about, you know, with the effects, it still wouldn't have made that much of a difference. It has big screenplay problems. All right. Here's some trivia on yeah, the hit, thing. Hit, hit me with them. An enormous number of screenshots from the first movie were kept on set while filming at all times in order to ensure that the Norwegian station would be rebuilt to the smallest details. Yeah, yeah. Th- th- this was a big deal to them. Like, it, you know, no one made maps at the time. As a matter of fact, the, the only map they had was a fan-made map off a website, uh, probably from the late 90s, just an a ultra fan of the movie. I'm going to butcher this name, but director Matthias von Hagengen? Jr. Works for me. Had such a negative experience with the film due to constant studio interference that he claimed to have lost his passion for filmmaking and retired for nearly a decade. Although he has been working on films in Norway, he has since vowed never to work with an American studio ever again. I mean, I can't blame him, to be perfectly honest. With everything I've heard, I mean, I I can imagine that you're trying to make your mark and have the studio interfere at every turn. You know, it doesn't, it doesn't help things and, you know, certainly leave a horrible taste in, in your mouth. And like I said, maybe this guy could have had an opportunity to grow and become a good director or whatever. He just didn't get that opportunity because he got paired with suits that didn't know what the fuck they were doing. Mm-hmm. So we'll never know. And we got a terrible film. Well, he got a lousy film out of it. The filmmaker used Kurt Russell's height as an estimate as to how big the sets would have to be to faithfully recreate the Norwegian camp as no blueprints existed from the Carpenter movie. Yeah. Fire effects throughout the movie are done practically, which is obvious. Yeah. Fire effects look really good. Digital fire effects in 2011, 2010, that's not the way you wanted to go. These effects look really solid on that, on that front. The special effects crew was very disappointed that their hard work was mashed or replaced in CG. Imagine. They later started a Kickstarter campaign to fund Harbinger, Harbinger Down, Down, a movie designed entirely by practical effects. It's not great. Yeah. It's not, it's not, it's not a great movie. It's not a great flick. Of the 22 puppeteers who worked on the film, half the number worked on Fraggle Rock. I just love that, that yeah. trivia because that was one of my favorite movies as a kid or shows as a kid. Yeah, that's the fact that we really needed it in the show. Mm-hmm. Bring it up. Yeah. All right. With that being said, are you ready to move on to The Thing from Another World? That alive, sir. I saw it. I shot it. I hit it. I know it. 
happened, but just kept coming at me, making a noise like a cat mewing. Captain, it was awful. You could have seen those hands and those eyes. Captain, you've got to do something about it. You've got Is it human or inhuman? Earthly or unearthly? Baffling questions, astounding questions that not even the world's greatest scientific minds can answer. Gentlemen, do you realize what we've found? So this was kind of a fun-ass movie. Yeah, I wouldn't call it a horror movie, but I would call it a definite sci-fi movie. Yeah, it's like a, a creature feature. Yeah. It's kind of it. Like I said, I, I think it, it, it's certainly a funner time with this movie than I have with the 2011 film. Yeah, it was interesting. I did have fun with this movie. It so. had good characters. Yeah, and, and that, that's sort of the core of it. You could understand the dilemma. I think the monster had a clear goal. You know, and to some extent, I do agree with the doctor. Like, the monster wasn't necessarily evil. He's trying to stay alive. Yeah. You know, he doesn't give a shit about us. We wouldn't give a shit about him, right? So, I mean, I, I do understand that. But it, at least it has those conflicts set up. So it makes the film a little bit deeper than what you might get on some other movies like this. I think it's a pretty solid script for this adaptation. What I like is it starts off with the same title card as we see in all three movies. With, with the uh, the effect, with the thing font and... Yeah, I, I do the, like that. that yeah. We, yeah, it's uniform across all the movies. Mm -hmm. You know, Carpenter kept that. And I always think of that when I watch Halloween, because that's the movie that the kids are watching in Halloween, the thing from another world. And they show the title card. So this is set in Anchorage, Alaska, and we have a group of men playing cards, or a group of officers, probably from the Air Force. A group of men are flying out to the North Pole to see what a, see about a scientist asking for help. They take a group of dogs with them. Yeah, yeah. I think the first thing that you really notice in differences between the movies is the original film, the thing had a very small cast. I think you had like, what, nine people in that movie? Yeah. And the 2011 prequel, I think that has, what, 15 or 16 people in the cast? That's a lot of people. And this, there's about like 30 people at this base, right? Mm -hmm. Now, that's not unrealistic. You know, it's an outpost in... In the, the wintertime. Yeah, it's an outpost in... The, in the Carpenter film. In this one, it's like a military base, basically. Yeah. So there is a little bit more people there. And, and I'm okay with that. But it's a different change, in the, different in the story. So, And I think that's actually closer to what was in the, the original text. Yeah. They land the plane and they meet all the scientists. Mm -hmm. Then we get some great chemistry between the captain. of the, I call the captain. Yeah. He's, I guess, referred to as the captain in the movie as well. But that's who I call. Anyways. And a lady. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and they talk about their last... And a lady. <laughs> Just any lady. They talk about things, and the captain seems a little aggressive with her. He's kind of pansy. Yeah, well, it's like 1950s flirting. You can just get right in there, basically. It's totally, yeah. they're totally it's like, it's, flirting, though. It's like she's full totally into flirting. it. Yeah, yeah no, she, she's digging it. She's digging it. Like, she's not a kid. Yeah. But that's, you had to go hard back in the 50s. They end up investigating a crash of some sort. So I, I like when they, they, they head out there and they see the ship for two reasons. There's the little aspect I love about these old movies. It's when they, they go to something and they just, they just describe something yeah. of showing it <laughs> because they, they had no physical way to do that kind of effect. When we review Dracula, I'll have a field day with this because so much of that movie is people looking out the window like, good God, he's turned into a bat. Oh no, into fog he has. And you never see any of that. And this movie does a little bit of that right here. They're like, my God, look at this creature. He must be 10 feet tall. Like there's a lot of that action going on. But I do like the moment when they form the saucer. Yeah. And that's, that's neat. I like that. That's a really well done uh, bit. 
It takes a little bit to get there, but I, I think the scene does work well. Also, lots of dogs in it, so that's a positive. There's dogs on the ship, too. I mean, there's dogs on the airplane, too. Mm-hmm. That's another aspect I think is fun in time. There's no helicopters, so you had to use planes everywhere. Yeah, big old rickety planes. Yeah, I wonder what a pain in the ass that would have been. The doctor's being real cagey. Very cagey. Yeah, about what's out there. Mm-hmm. They fly out to the spot and start investigating. The craft came to a rest and melted a ton of ice. They discover the craft is round, and they realize that they have a spacecraft. Yeah. That's that part you're talking about. Yeah, yeah. No, I just, lined up. Yeah, no, I just, it's a neat image. It's a nice way to show without really being able to show any of that kind of stuff. You know, you're just not going to be able to access that in 19, 1951. The reporter in this movie is super excited, and he argues with the captain about waiting to report what he sees. And then there's a big explosion. Yeah, a, a gigantic explosion. Yeah. We found out a fun story about that. They overpacked that charge. Mm-hmm. That's why it's so enormous. <laughs> yeah, it blew up way bigger to woke up the entire town where they shot this movie. They discover a creature. They start breaking the ice to get it out. They bring the creature back with the ice. So the biggest change we're going to have here, obviously, is this is a standard creature feature. We are not going to get a paranoid thriller about uh, something that, that can change shape and, and it can be anyone. So that, that aspect of the adaptation of who goes there is completely lost. And that's okay. I mean, I can understand that's a much more difficult film to make and how do you do that shape-shifting effect? In 51, yeah. Yeah, so th- they had to improvise here. And I know they did a bunch of crazy different kind of uh, looks until they eventually settled on the, the our carrot monster that we get in this film. Our carrot monster. Yeah. Well, nothing really happens after they get back. The creature ends up escaping the ice and attacks a couple of dogs. The creature loses an arm. They examine the arm Mm -hmm. and they discover that it's a plant creature. Yeah, it's a big living plant, basically. So that allows it to regrow and everything like that and basically just be a little bit different from us. And the hand starts to move on its own. Yeah, it's not a bad idea, in all honesty, for a monster. I I I think it's fine. I think it's pretty well executed, despite how some of the people felt about it. Well, they're kind of excited and a little bit scared but they end up going looking for the creature the doctor is obsessed with making contact they find another dog dead locked away where they keep plants yeah he just rolls right out of there so they know at this point they know the creature the thing is aggressive they know yeah. that just, it's going to kill to stay alive and, and this, very smart yeah i mean that that's once again not really a fault of of the thing i mean it, your your whole point is to stay alive <laughs> he has no idea where he is And it's capable of opening locks and doors. Smart. We know that. A man shows up injured, says he wasn't in the greenhouse. They look for the creature in the greenhouse and come face to face with him. They see two guys hanging upside down in the greenhouse, drained all of of all their blood. Yeah, so that's the change here is the creature now, the thing will will suck your blood dry, basically. Mm -hmm. Hangs you upside down and gets everything, and that's how it stays alive. And we discover something weird about the doctor. He's growing creature seeds and feeding it with human blood. He's been hiding it the whole time. Yeah, yeah. This is really fucked up. And I, yeah. I, it's a neat idea because you have this this conflict here where he automatically just sees the scientific advantages of having this creature in the world without seeing any of the downsides about how fucking dangerous it is to everybody else in that group. Mm-hmm. And. I love the play between both of them because it's not like he doesn't have a valid point. Like, yes, you should try to communicate with the creature, but it looks pretty clear that it's not that kind of creature, mm-hmm. you know? So we don't know anything about it. He just assumes it would be more intelligent and not as warlike, but 
his part is well played and his case is well argued pretty much until the end of the movie. I like that the captain has good instincts. He gets his his woman, basically. His woman. His woman. His woman. Because he notices a lot of blood's missing. The doctor wants to keep the alien alive, and so he's been feeding it blood. Captain wants to burn it all, which I can understand that. I would, would too. Just don't fuck with that shit. It's an alien, right? Would you, like, want to study it and, like, Take it home, or would you want to leave it there? I'd want to leave it there. Yeah. I'd, I'd want to leave it there, because it's the same thing with, like, bringing a, a creature from one side of the planet to the other. You don't know what an invasive species could do. Yeah. No, I'm telling you. It's the best place for it, in a dead wasteland like Antarctica. Oh, actually, this movie's in Alaska, but... The thing ends up bursting through the door and attacking the captain and his crew. They put out... Put the girl... <laughs> I love this whole scene. They put the girl in the corner with like a little mattress over her Mm -hmm. and or a little mat to hold up to protect her. And then there's a ton of fire. Yeah. So this scene is fucking awesome. Yeah. It's fucking great. They just light this motherfucker on fire. There's a ton of flames everywhere. It's all the real actors in the scene. You can see their faces like they're not using any stunt doubles. It absolutely is them. And there's a big old motherfucker on fire in the middle of this thing running through the room. Yeah, really cool. Yeah, it's awesome. It really is. It's worth watching just for that effect. Yeah, some motherfucker had to wear that, wear that whole suit and like be on fire and they didn't have like flame retardant this and no, that. No, yeah, you were just that was just a motherfucker on fire. Yeah, they were just putting a lot of padding on him and hoping for the best. Yeah, there were no survivors. No, he survived. Yeah, everybody was fine, but it's just how it rolled back then. They decide to build a contraption to lure the thing to it. He ends up. Uh, they they put up a barrier. He ends up breaking through the barrier. The doctor turns off the generator to prevent. From everybody from killing him because their idea is they have a track laid and it's electrified. Yeah, basically. And they want to yeah. electrify him, basically. Because that, that, nothing else has really worked against him. And this movie, fire doesn't do the job or nothing. Obviously, bullets don't do it. So they're going to try this and, and see if they can shock him that way and kill him. But yeah, he, he does turn that off and he makes one last attempt to go up there and like reason with the creature. Yeah, and the creature just like throws his ass aside. Kills him. Well, actually, I think it just knocks him out. It doesn't say he's I think dead. He's unconscious. Yeah, it doesn't doesn't kill him. And then yeah, and then he gets a little bit closer and they spring the trap. They shock and kill him. Yeah, and it's a pretty satisfying finale. I like the way it looks. And I didn't realize this till I was watching some behind the scenes stuff, but uh one of the effects is like they show him getting smaller. I didn't realize they actually swap him out with a much smaller actor. In the same costume and oh shit uh, yeah so I was like wow they did a great job like making him look a lot smaller because he's somebody else but yeah it totally fooled me I, I thought about that when I was watching that like how interesting but no that's how it worked the movie ends with the reporter begging the public to keep watching the skies yeah yeah and it's an iconic line and I think this is a fun fun movie if you, if you like older films you haven't seen this check it out if you like the original part of yeah if you, it's like an hour and thirty minutes it's a really fast a breeze movie. Yeah, yeah a real breeze to watch this if you like Carpenter's movie go back and watch this one just what inspired him to be a filmmaker he loves this movie it's a really good film even today as mm-hmm. dated as it might be and it's a way funner time than the twenty eleven film it holds up yeah we're good. we have a numerical score is at seven yeah that's really a good solid score. flick yeah ten for the original for the Carpenter original all right here's some trivia that I found. The skeleton crew at the South Pole Telescope Station had a tradition of watching this movie every year and the other two adaptations of the very first night after the departure of the final plane of the season. So they watched these movies. 
Yeah. As a tradition. And that makes sense. I think if there's something like at your your facility, like at your kind of life, you would definitely try to watch the movie that's yeah. about it. And just hope that one day you also don't run into an alien creature. <laughs> well, at least you know what to do if you do run into it. Yeah, fire. Lots of Lots it. of fire. Yeah. Don't touch it. Leave it alone. Yeah. Originally, it was intended to make a thing a shapeshifter, as in the novel, but they had limited budget. Early conceptual sketches depict a very plant-like creature with one of its limbs going through a transformation into a human hand. They couldn't figure out how to do that. Which yeah. I understand. Yeah, that makes sense. Close-ups of the thing were removed. It was felt like the makeup would not hold up to the scrutiny, but it gave the thing a mysterious quality. There's no real close-ups in the entire movie at all. No. Yeah, it's movies almost shot entirely We're done like wide so well. shots. Yeah, yeah. There's like you, you see like a close-up on the plants, but you need to see that close-up. Mm-hmm. But other than that, you really don't get a lot of them. Last fact: When Scotty mentioned having attended the 1928 execution of Ruth Snyder and Judd Gray, another character asked him if he was able to get pictures. Scotty answers, no, they didn't allow cameras, but one guy, he was interrupted by the thing. Scotty was referring to the Chicago Tribune reporter, Tom Howard, who smuggled a miniature camera into the execution chamber strapped to his ankle and was able to take a famous photo of Snyder's final moments in the electric chair. Nice. Thanks for explaining the reference. I wouldn't have thought about that. Yeah. All right. Well, good facts on that movie. I, like I said, I, I ended up enjoying it, so I was happy we checked that one out. I am too. <clears throat> it gave me a perspective for the the 1982. Exactly, yeah. It gave me a different way to take a look at that movie, and I can see what effect that had on Carpenter's. He certainly loved that movie. So I know, as always, we have our reviews. Mm-hmm. So what, what do we got this week? The Thing from Another World has got a 4.6 user review, 86% on Rotten Tomatoes, and a 7.1 on IMDb. The Thing 2011 is a 3.5 user review, 34% on Rotten Tomatoes, and a 6.2 on IMDb. And I chose 10-star reviews this week for the movies. Okay. Lay it on. So here's a 10-star for The Thing from Another World. My father served in the Navy during the Korean War. He told me that one night on the ship, they showed The Thing from Another World. And at the scene where a door is open to reveal a monster standing on the threshold, an entire room full of hard-bitten American sailors screamed like little teenage girls. I'm not sure that would have happened today, although the scene still provides a good shock if you're not expecting it. But Howard Hawks' film of The Thing is still one of the first and easily one of the best of the 1950s monster movies. Smart dialogue and good acting lifted above all others except perhaps them. Hawks and consensus is that the film was principally directed by Hawks himself, not by Christian Nibby, an editor who needed a director's credit on his resume, maintains suspense in the most simple and effective way. Instead of constantly cutting away to show us what the monster is up to or where it is, Hawks keeps us with the band of soldiers and scientists trying to find it and destroy it so that we don't know any more than they do. John Carpenter and his remake over, over a quarter century later provides more special effects but he doesn't hold the spins well. The characters are well-fleshed out stereotypes, and the film is a fine display of good ensemble acting, as you'll see in any film, let alone a monster film. For me, that's what makes the movie watchable many times over, and it's what makes a thing from another world a good film rather than a guilty pleasure. I like his review. I think he laid out his point pretty well, and even if you don't really care for Carpenter's film, I... I certainly can understand really loving this movie, especially mm-hmm. if you like the way older horror movie, older monster movies are done. I mean, this is a really classic and great example of how to do it's one. It's a good one. Yeah. I've seen some bad ones. <laughs> yeah, but it's like, no, this is entertaining throughout, so. 
All right, here's a 10-star review of the 2011. Okay, I'm intrigued by this. Prequel. So many sequels and prequels fall flat and fail to reach the originality of its predecessors. Never mind reach impact and longevity. The silly Star Wars 1 through 3 movies, Matrix 2 through 4, and Tim Burton's Batman series. But the 2011 version of John Campbell Jr.'s 1938 short story, Who Goes There, a.k.a. The Thing, is equally as original and entertaining as the 1982 John Carpenter version. I wondered how the prequel would tie in the continuity of certain scenes, such as the two-faced duplicate in progress, the suicidal radio operator, the transition from the Norwegian science station to the American one. I was very happy with this prequel, though probably more intended to demonstrate its metal as a remake. It's not a perfect story, and there are in there are a couple of noticeable errors, i.e. 2011 circuit headphones in an early 80s setting. But this is no way detracts from the eye and eye an ear candy that assails its senses with this well-produced film, which stands tall in its own right. Mary Elizabeth Winstead is not in enough movies. She has a lead role, but she plays it without coming across as a lead, the sign of a good character with staying power. I hope to see her in more films, but for now, she is very interesting in watch and fast-paced story. There are enough twists and turns to throw off the viewer from the perils of predictability, and both the visual and audio effects Quality of the effects will not fail to please. If you like sci-fi, horror, and aren't embarrassed to enjoy even the black and white oldies but goodies, such as Howard Hawks' 1951 version, The Thing from Another World, then you will thoroughly enjoy this remake. I only hope the Blu-ray version comes packaged with a clean-up print of Hawks' original film. Oh, man, he really loved this movie. Yeah, he did. Yeah, he did. He No, he, he's the movie's biggest fan. Every, every movie's got to have one. Mm-hmm. Either that or he works for Universal. Damn, I don't have the... I don't have the date of when it came out either. I just have the 10, 10 out of 10. That's okay. No, I was real curious about Yeah, it could have been a studio plant. I love this movie. I love everything about it. Yeah. But I don't think that was... I think he had legitimate love for that film. No, he did. Yeah, I think he, I really did. I, I was, it was a nice review. I don't. I disagree, but it was a nice review. <laughs> uh, no Ebert review this week. He doesn't have an official review of The Thing from Another World, and uh, he did not review The Thing 2011. Hmm. He was already delegating re- those reviews to other people at that point. Oh. Oh, I know. Sad. But yeah, so uh, with that being said, we go to the obvious social media question. What are your socials, Meredith? I don't have any fucking socials. That's right. Fuck social media. But not really, because we have socials. If you would like to get a hold of us, you can uh, drop us a line at Gritty Reboot, at Instagram, and at TikTok. That's probably the easiest way to get a hold of us. Um, We check that pretty regularly. Just tell us a story. Tell us a story. Tell us any kind of story. Sit down. we'll, We'll have a chat. Yeah, you know, do something creative. Yeah, yeah. Throw something at me that I'm not going to see coming. (laughs) Either that or or you can just tell us what movie you'd like for us to do. That's how we did The Town of the Dreaded Sundown. We're waiting for another recommendation from another viewer, another viewer, another listener, pardon me. Well, I guess we could have viewers too on the YouTube channel. Yeah. But I don't know why you'd want to watch the YouTube version when you could listen to our beautiful, beautiful voices. Sultry voices. Yes, our sultry, sultry voices. All right, and with that, it's probably time to clock out. Uh, Who knows what we're doing next week, guys, but we'll figure it out by then. Yep. All right, guys, have a good one. Bye.